Hello, I'm Stuart Preston, and this is the Stone Day Reports, where I have conversations with those who have changed their lives with the power of psychedelics. Please note, if you're considering working with psychedelics, stay safe and stay legal. Do your research, understand the contraindications, test all substances. Psychedelics are not for everybody. Okay, also, check out my book, The Grief Trip, How I Learned to Heal with Grief and Psychedelics. You can find it at thegrieftrip.com. And 100% of proceeds go to the Ian Preston Memorial Fund to help support mental health and suicide prevention. In this episode, I had the honor of speaking with my good friend in a powerhouse in this space, Kim. She discusses her experience with an aboga retreat and how it was like a lucid dream, allowing her to see and interact with her soul, past loved ones, and much more. She gets real with us, and I'm honored to have her back. So please enjoy this conversation with Kim. All right, Kim. Well, thank you so much for joining me here on the Stoned Ape Reports. It's uh, once again a pleasure. You've been a real big part of the whole podcast because you've brought several guests. You're a big player in the community. So, you know, the first thing I want to do is just thank you for taking the time to, to share your experiences with me and with anybody who listens. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to be back. And it's, it's such a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, um, do you want to talk about your background at all? Should we jump into Ivo again? Do you want to talk about, you know, kind of what brought you into psychedelics in life in general and some of the things you've done with it? Or would you prefer to jump right into this latest experience? Um, well, I'll just do a quickie. How's that? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I've been working with plant medicines for uh, nine years, just about now, uh, personally and professionally for about five. Um, professionally means that I've, uh, I, I, I work in marketing and I support people to get educational resources and connect them to um, incredible providers and also um, help them navigate this world because it's, um, hmm. it's not as cut and dry as, as what I would say the um, toxic marketing out there that's like, do it once and you're healed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so I, and I've, I've worked with the Psychedelic Society of San Francisco, and I've had um, some wonderful clients. Inscape Recovery has been with me for a number of years. They're an Ibogaine aftercare center. Um, mm-hmm. I've helped with the decrim movement in California and now in Florida as well. Um, we were working in awesome. the state to get that done, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I'm just a huge proponent of, of these medicines and a psychonaut for sure. <laughs> nice. Nice. So it's not a, not, not a eat a bag of mushrooms and everything's all better then. No. It's a, it's no. a process. No. All right. It's definitely a process. <laughs> um, so let's talk about this, this uh, Ibogaine experience. I know that, you know, I've talked to some of your clients, you know, the, that have been through this people from, you know, going through the 12 step program in life from, addiction and i think we don't call it addiction anymore i think we call it substance abuse disorder i think addiction is one of those stigmatizing words that has been removed from the dsm but i don't know about that because i'm not a therapist i'm I'm just a drug user so (laughs) um (laughs) yeah so so what this is a big thing you know ibogaine is a big thing It, it seems to me to be one of those experiences that's kind of like a Uh, 5-MeO-DMT or NN-DMT, you know, something that's not just your average everyday experience. So before telling us about, yeah, yeah. And I can can tell. (laughs) So the, uh, 
Um, so what 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 led you to do iBookgaming? What was going on in your life, and what was what was your calling to to go have this experience? Yeah. So um, thank you. Um, so I should start probably with some definitions just for listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, what I did was called iboga, um, which iboga. Is- Yes, which is the root of a plant, which I'm going to screw up its name, but um, you can look it up on the internet. Iboga, and it starts with a T. I forget the, the last part of it. I am also not a professional in this industry in terms of I don't provide it. Um, I help people find it, um, but hmm. um, I will I will let people Google to get all of the super details. And I can also leave people at the end of this, um, this conversation. I'll make sure that I can give people some resources. So Iboga Perfect. is the root of a plant. And it's found, it's found in Africa. <clears throat> and uh, the Bwiti tribe are the people who are most well recognized for it being a part of their day-to-day lives. And they're a, a tribe in Gabon in um, Africa. And they are, um, the, the people that I sat with have been training with the Bwiti for about 10 years. And I'll, let, I'll give you guys some inform- more information on who I sat with as well. Um, Iboga is the whole plant. So it is um, like, uh, what can I liken it to? If someone's going to eat um, some San Pedro powder, it's the whole plant just, just crushed up. So that's what mm-hmm. Iboga is. So it has all of what they call the alkaloids. Or that's what they are called. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they. It's what it's what they're called. Um, the alkaloids are complete in the iboga experience. When you do ibogaine, that is actually an extraction of one alkaloid, and so mm. ibogaine is is similar. It's it's not similar in experience or um, effect as DMT, but it is similar in that DMT exists in the body and neuro ibogaine exists in the liver, and so this is something our body interesting. And so, yeah, so there's, um, there's root bark, which is the aboga plant just ground up, which is what I took uh, my first ceremony. And then there's also something that they, that you, you can make tea out of that as well. So there's like a liquid form. And then there's something called a TA, which is a total alkaloids, which is an extraction process that instead of just extracting only ibogaine out, they have um, all the alkaloids or most of the alkaloids are extracted into a powder and then that's put into a pill. And that's really the the ways in which it's delivered. If you're um, looking in and if if your listeners are people in the um, pharmaceutical realm, there is a lot of research being put into ibogaine and aboga because there's so many applications for it. Um, And as you will find out, it's not the most pleasant experience. So there's a lot of companies that are trying to pull out the psychedelic aspect of it and just have the um, um, uh, addiction recovery uh, elements that it's so incredibly good at delivering. Which what do you what do you think about that? What do you think about people? Just as a side comment, <laughs> what do you think about people trying to take these? Um, medicinal hallucinogens and pull out the hallucination part of it. What, what, do you have any opinions or thoughts on that? Oh, I've got lots. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have to say that as hard as it was for this particular type of plant, um, I am so grateful to know it in its entirety. Um, mm-hmm. Because the hallucinations um, are so 
necessary to heal so quickly. And, and I, Mm. I, I'll explain a little bit about that, but um, if you don't have an understanding in some way and also guidance to, to navigate this, this realm, I can totally understand why you wouldn't want to go through an insane hallucination experience. Um, But, but I do believe that is like 75% of its value is, is, yeah really experiencing what your mind is um is capable of what it's doing to you and how you can control it that's probably the most uh poignant part of iboga for me i've done like i mentioned i'm a psychonaut i've done everything that i've could find mm-hmm. ayahuasca a million times now it feels like um i've done mescaline in many forms i've done lsd um mdma um uh, 2CB, um, the psilocybin, ketamine, uh, what else? Am I leaving anything else? I, unique, um, designer drugs. Um, I, mm-hmm. grew up in LA. I mean, I had access when I was young, but therapeutically now in the last nine years, everything has been therapeutically. Um, I've done all the hallucinogens that I could find because I'm just curious about consciousness. Um, yeah. But iboga, um, to answer your question you asked before, um, iboga is a really interesting plant because uh, I had never heard of it seven years ago. And I kid you not, I was asleep in San Francisco and I sat up at about 3 a.m. and I heard the word iboga in my head. It was in a dream. And I didn't know. How long ago was that? That was seven years ago. Seven years ago. You just heard the word iboga. You said, like, what was that? Yes, I woke. I woke up and was like, "What the f?" Like, I don't even know. Is that in English? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> the TV was on. I had fallen asleep, and I was like, "Did I hear that on TV? What is that?" And I didn't know what it was. And so I searched it. I guessed how to spell it, and I searched it online, and I found a couple articles. And I, I it, it was mostly related to opiate uh, addiction and withdrawal recovery. And I was like really brain really that's what you woke me up at 3 a.m to tell me i don't i've never even used an opiate like i don't okay i'm going back to bed (laughs) yeah no idea no idea and um really interesting um i did several interviews with the team that um i sat with which they're called soul centro i just got back from costa rica which is which is where i sat um with these medicine or this medicine um and um I sat with Elizabeth Bast um, and her husband, Shore Boogie, and their team, Patrick Fishley and um, Michelle Fishley, they're married. Um, And they are, I could not have asked for a better team, for sure. Mm. Um, Shore had shared, um, and I I did a wonderful interview with him. Um, He shared that he believes, and many other people have this, this suspicion, ayahuasca and iboga have some kind of energetic entanglement in the universe that <laughs> many people who have experienced ayahuasca find themselves at a boga's doorstep or or a boga goes boga, when you're sleeping yeah, <laughs> Apparently. yeah. interesting because yeah, there's a lot of similarities when i hear you guys talking i've never done in a boga or ibogaine or anything you know experience but when i hear people talking about it i feel like it sounds very similar so not, not like in the whole experience because it but there does seem to be like a little Venn diagram overlap. Yeah, there's, 
I would say that the experience couldn't be any more different, but there is some kind of energetic tie between yeah. those worlds. Um, it, to me, my experience of ayahuasca has always been kind of blowing out into the universe and an all pervasive connection to all things. Whereas my experience with the Boga, um, it, was, it was the deepest connection I ever had to myself that, that I didn't even, I wasn't even aware I could have. So instead of going out there, I was 100% brought, brought into my core understanding of who I was. And it's messy in there. <laughs> yeah. It was real interesting. Um, so, so the aboga experience also, um, so I did two ceremonies of what they call a flood dose. And um, people can do something called slow and low, which is, is over the course of maybe six, six hours, hours, you slowly bring in a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of the medicine. Whereas mm -hmm. a blood dose is um, intended to get you in it fast. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, in the Bwiti tradition, um, Chor Boogie is his name. That's his artistic name. Um, and uh, he's, a, he's a famous artist. Um, he has been studying with the Bwiti tribe uh, for 10 years, like I mentioned. And in the Bwiti tradition, when you, when you experience Iboga, it's, it's an initiation. So you are brought in. I did not do the level that they would do in Africa, but um, they do do it in the same format, which is you're going in and you're going in hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the music that's played, they played traditional Bwiti music, which I would affectionately call like death metal of Africa because it's like yeah yeah I've listened to it I've listened because yeah. a friend of mine went through one of these experiences and he mentioned it and I was like I gotta go look this stuff up and I listened to it it's it's very uh high energy holy crap yes yes <laughs> so yeah so it they they call the the opening wow. music that they share the chiseler because oh it like it's like a jackhammer in your head yeah it's so intense um and they do it and the, the reason they they use it they actually patrick shared this with me um he's the medical director on their team he said that there's been um um uh eegs of people listening to the music and it actually that intensity gets into the areas where addiction lives in the brain and hmm. that I found to be so interesting. I went into this experience for a, um, a um, not for addiction purposes. You can also do it for psycho-spiritual purposes. Most people don't because they're at their last straw. They're, they're, they're there because they need to end an addiction. Um, but I had been curious um, since that, that time, seven years prior, I was like, where did that come from? I didn't know what mm -hmm. it was. Um, and I met Elizabeth at a psychedelic society um, meeting and she had mentioned that she uh, served Deboga and that she, um, that it, that changed her whole world and her husband's life. And, and I was really interested. And so I did some collaborations on some um, events with her talking about Iboga. And then fast forward many more years, I started work, working with Inscape Recovery and um, and I started to help people find access to Ibogaine and Iboga. And mm -hmm. it was a bit hypo um, hypocritical that I had never experienced it. 
And is, is that kind of what was part of the motivation to do this was to have that experience so you could communicate it to people or was there more to drawing you to this? Was there, was there something about your brain or your spirit waking you up with the word Iboga seven years ago? Was there something behind that that ended up being important and bringing you to this? Or was this purely for a self-exploration educational experience? I would say that my ego would like to say, oh, it's because I, I just wanted that exploration. But now after the experience, my soul needed me to do this. Mm. It was my soul back then, I would say, that was saying, yeah. hi, I need you to pay attention to me. And yeah. um, part of the process of going into this experience, um, I did uh, two flood doses over the course of eight days, um, is that um, when you come in, they ask you to write questions to ask the medicine when you go in. And it's a very heady medicine. You are in your brain really, really heavily. And um, they do a process which they call journeying you, which is you once you get really into the medicine, once it's really having its effects on you, they will come and they will sit with you and they will, they will ask you those questions and you go in and you go and find your soul. And it sounds very esoteric, but it's actually, it's a literal conversation that you, conversations that you have with your soul. You go in and you look, um, they ask you to go into your house and you go look around and you try to find your soul. And hmm. the hallucinations in Iboga are nothing like ayahuasca, nothing like um, psilocybin. They are the most realistic as though you are, as, as though I am standing in front of you and seeing you in the flesh, that is what you see. And it's like, a, like a dream, like a realistic dream, but, but deeper inside, even more realistic because you can, you can direct it. So wow. you are 100% in the driver's seat. They, they support you and being in the driver's seat because they're there also speaking to you, but um, you are, you are able to speak with your ancestors. You're able to speak with passed on loved ones. You're able to speak with your soul. And the experience, I had, I had been preparing for this for a very long time um, and been thinking about doing it. And I actually had called a provider of mine that, that provides um, Ibogaine, um, Asha Caravelli. And I, it was the strangest thing that I called her and I said, I think I'm going to be ready in the next six months. And she said, okay, I'm a little busy this week. Let's, let's schedule a call. I just texted her and, and she said, okay. And that day that I texted her, Elizabeth called me and said, we found our center. We know where we're going to have it. And I want to share it with you. And I want to talk to you about maybe doing some marketing or something. And I was like, oh my God, Elizabeth, I just called Asha. Wow. texted Asha this morning and said, I think I'm ready. And I shared some struggles that I was having. Um, and um, in uh, a now uh, ended relationship. And um, it was, I, I didn't know how to approach shifting several aspects of my life. Um, hmm. I was in a very negative relationship and I didn't understand how I got there. I didn't understand um, what happened. And I share it because I think that people believe 
um, that Iboga Ibogaine is for addiction only. And mm -hmm. I really feel like the psycho spiritual aspect of, of connecting in with your soul is something that maybe not everybody needs because it's very challenging, but if you, if you don't have a connection to yourself, it's really hard to be in the driver's seat of your life. And, um, I had, I had heard, uh, an interview with someone who had, um, who had done a boga and they said the morning after a flood dose, I had agency back in my life. Hmm. And I, I don't think I understood what that really meant until yeah, I I'm not totally grokking what that means, even as you're saying it. It's, it's, it's a psychological term, but um, what I would say, the best way to describe it is um, in, in the addiction world, they say that there's an external locus of control because you are, you are mm. bowing down to a substance that you require to bring into you in order to make things okay. Our culture asks us to, on most every level of our lives, um, to look at externally and say, I need that to feel okay. I need validation. I need uh, that job. I need that experience, you know, fill in the blank. I need that consumer item. And that's, what's going to make things better. And we are reinforced yeah. over and over. Um, a sense of agency is to say, I am completely self-directed and guided and I no longer need those external things. I can listen to what I actually need and hmm. move from that place. And I, I don't think before the Aboga experience, I could, um, or I, I know I didn't have much connection to that. I was, wow. I yeah. I don't, I don't think I was egotistical, but I was, I was spending time with my ego directing me because I was grasping at things that weren't making me happy. And I didn't understand why. So with all the other work you've done with all these other things you listed off, yeah, had, had none of those experiences or any of those things brought you close to this understanding of, of connection to self and your own agency before did, did this Iboga trip build upon that or, or is any of that related? Well, it's interesting. It's like, it sounds like a whole brand new experience. It really, truly is. And mind you, I am a few weeks out. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I am just processing all of this. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's still pretty fresh. Um, and and aboga stays in your liver um, for about three months. Um, oh, after. wow. And so it's still working on me. Um, and, yeah. and I've microdosed since. And I got thrown in to a bit bigger of an experience than, than that microdose would normally do to someone because I, I have so much in my system still. So, so you're um, microdosing, you're microdosing Iboga, Iboga. Well, I did it once so far and I'm, I'm going to not do that for a little while because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, the, the biggest, the biggest difference I would say is that ayahuasca, psilocybin, DMT, um, mm, I, I would say those particularly connect you to all things and you have this experience of interconnectivity. Um, yeah. and that's, that's not so much external. It's kind of like bringing the, in, the, the external in to a certain degree, but 
the the major and and there is a lot of waves of good feeling when you're in those 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 medicines because they're it's almost like a reinforcement oftentimes it's, it's like okay you're going to feel this experience and you're going to process it and i'm going to give you this nice wave of goodness that is mm. joy or bliss or um connectivity that that feels amazing and that's that's why a lot of people seek out those medicines i would say and I don't want to scare anybody, but I kind of do. Uh, Iboga does the very much opposite. <laughs> yeah. It connects you to your shame and your guilt and your fears, mm. and your judgments, and it makes you address them in a way that you, you look at it and you say, okay, I know you're there. I understand but you don't have control over me. And the, the main, the main uh, experience that, that I struggled with and a lot of people, I sat with uh, two other people who uh, were also doing the medicine and then the team mm. also consumed some of the medicine, but they've all been doing it for so long that it's, it's built in their body so up so much that they don't have as much of an effect as, as, um, as right. um, the other people came with different reasons for being there. Um, and, um, they, they had different experiences, of course, but they all shared that it was exceedingly challenging mentally uh, because wow. it's um, the first time I sat, um, I had only root bark uh, and I had a big heaping tablespoon and they deliver it um, in what they call a fire circle. And so everyone who's sitting with the medicine you sit in the, around the fire until everyone is starting to experience the medicine. And hmm. I was first to feel it within 15 minutes. I was like, Oh, wow. I, Oh God, I can't sit up. Right How now. do you ingest it? Is it the, you said a, t a tablespoon, is it a, a powder that you mix into something? Is it a liquid? I mean, how, how do you ingest it? The power, it's a powder and they, you mm -hmm. they come and they put it under your tongue. And then um, you hold it there for a bit. It's very, um, it's, it's like um, acidic kind of, I don't know how to describe it. Um, it's not, yeah. not the greatest taste, but the powder is far preferred over the tea. Oh my God, that is the worst taste. Ayahuasca is like sugar and spice compared to <laughs> really tea. Oh my God, it was the worst flavor. I oh man, it's so bad. Um, you, I, assume, I assume you've had peyote and or uh, San Pedro tea. Oh geez, that was also like a mild cup of really. Tea. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> god, that's that's the worst stuff I've ever had. I don't mind ayahuasca. Ayahuasca to me sounds. I mean, it tastes um, right, right? I mean, I, I drink it and I'm like, that tastes right. When I drink peyote tea, it is absolutely horribly disgusting. So well, iboga tea is even worse. Well, you need a lot of San Pedro, right? You need like a big jar full, right? Um, and yeah. same with the bui tea, that's what they call it. It's the, it's the, the tea that's basically a root bark that's, um, that's made into yeah. tea. Um, and they add honey to it to try to make it a little easier. But now every time I smell honey, I just want to vomit. <laughs> oh. so, yeah, that's yeah. brutal. Oh, yeah. Uh, so so the first, uh, first ceremony, I just had a ta large tablespoon of the, the powder. And mm -hmm. about 20 minutes, I saw that again. 
Um, so I couldn't get any more medicine in me. Um, right. And so, um, so that journey was about 14 hours long. Um, and about six of that was a lot of purging, not constant, but anytime I would drink any water came right back up again. Yeah. Um, something that I wasn't prepared for, which is, it doesn't have to happen for everybody, but everybody that, that, that did the flood doses with me, this happened. So, um, there's in this, this, somebody might, you know, correct me, um, if I'm wrong, but, um, my understanding is a boga will flood your body with dopamine, but it doesn't reuptake it. Like it doesn't take it back up into the system. So mm. you're flooded by dopamine, a, a Parkinson's patient, a person who has Parkinson's does not have enough dopamine. And so they're, they're not able to reuptake it. They're not able to take it into their system. And that is what causes the tremor of shaking. I was shaking for seven hours as though I had Parkinson's and I didn't realize that was something that was part of it. Did you feel it? Cause I hear people with Parkinson's, they don't really notice it. Like when you look at somebody who has Parkinson's, you feel tense and upset and like, Oh God, that must be driving you crazy. And they don't necessarily really, because of the feedback loop of the, like the motor and the sensory neurons, right? There's like something messed up there. When you were going through that experience, how did you feel? Were you feeling like, oh my God, I'm shaking. I can't stop shaking. Or did you not notice it as much? Or what was that like? It was frustrating because uh. I couldn't walk on my own. Um, mm. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I needed somebody to take me, you know, hold me up with my, like one arm around my waist and I had to put my arm on them and then Mm -hmm. help me I couldn't it was like a shuffle the steps um when I was laying um on the bed so after the fire ceremony they took us back to lay down on beds under the stars which was incredible um most wow. of the time I had eye shades on but everyone smiled I'd peek up um but um but I sure <laughs> when he came around to to journey me to do the session with me he's like girl you need to relax a little bit because my whole body was shaking and I was like Oh, this mm. is not voluntary. And so it, it was not, it was not under my control. Um, but it kind of felt okay to mm -hmm. a certain point. Cause I was like, this feels kind of like, also the music is so fast. It kind of felt like I was dancing a little bit. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. But he said, he was like, are you, you, you are shaking quite a bit. And I was like, I can't control this. It's just going to happen. And he's like, okay, right. Right, keep doing it. So um, I, I didn't know that was part of it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And, um, and there was it's such an intense amount of confrontation during that first um, ceremony. Things that you, you and your soul are the only ones who know that they happened. And you may not consciously know they happened. And you have to confront them because... It, it is the core, what they consider the core wounds of, of some of your negative behavior in your life, some of the things that have brought you to that point. So you are confronting things that you don't necessarily want to experience. In, in ayahuasca, I feel like you're brought to emotions that may be challenging, but they come up and out. And then you're like washed with this lovely experience of connection. Mm -hmm. Boga was like, here is some stuff you don't want to look at, and I'm going to make you look at it. And the only way you're going to get out of it is if you consciously control and say, 
I am no longer choosing that activity, that action, that thought pattern, that behavior. And you have Interesting. to actually stop it in your mind. And what is to, to stop that thought or is it, is it a memory like replaying of a process that you have to stop and you say, Oh, that is the process that I go through with this. And so I'm not going to do that anymore. Is, is it that obvious? Uh, I'll give you two examples. One was uh, one from somebody who, um, who uh, was sitting with us and he had a very interesting experience. Um, he said um, during his journey, he said to Chor, um, there is, as you've been talking, there's been this lizard hissing at me for the last hour, right in my face. And it won't go <laughs> <laughs> And that was his, that Chor said, we'll tell it to go away. And he's like, I can do that. <laughs> and and what, what did the lizard represent? Well, for him, I mean, I don't, I don't know his inner dialogue of things, but he, yeah, so he wasn't going to say what it was, but he knew that that lizard represented something. And, and once he told it to go away, that something went away. Yes. Yes. Wow. And for me, um, when, when, when chore approached me to journey, when the, when the medicine was really working in me, um, he approached me and he said, Hey, what's going on? And I said, um, my ex is screaming at me and he won't stop. This is, this was mm. what I came to the experience with was confronting a abusive relationship. And, um, and he said, tell him to knock it off. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and I also didn't know I could do that in that mm. it was a replaying because it's, it is an opportunity for your mind to say, this is not okay. This is no longer acceptable. And we aren't going to focus our attention here anymore. And yeah, wow. that's where the, the, the core agency came from. And, and it still is working through me and in, in every action that I take now, I, I can, I can check in with my soul before making a choice. Whereas before I was like, uh, I don't know, this seems fine. No, <laughs> a lot of things often in people's lives. No, it's not fine. Am I in the right job? Am I doing the right things for my future? Most, you can ask the majority of Americans and they'll say, I, I don't know. I'm just doing So this you built this connection. It's like you created a, a path of communication to your soul. That, that will never end. I am so clearly. It like, never breaks. It's always there. I don't think it will ever go away. I, I, now that I'm aware um, I don't think it'll ever go away. It was, it was a, it was, Chor shared his um, experience where he had to, um, Chor was a heroin addict. He had, he had been in recovery um, for, I think, six years and he relapsed and he had to face his disrespect of his soul in his mm. first initial aboga journey. And he had to apologize for disrespecting himself. My experience hmm. was I had ignored her and there was a lot of reasons for that. I, and I had started ignoring her a long time ago and she was asleep when I found her <laughs> mm. and I had to apologize for ignoring her. And I apparently bawled for, I don't know, chore sat there with me for three hours to do this journey. And he wow. said there was a good 45 minutes where I was just crying. Wow. And I don't have any memory of doing that. But he just yeah. sat and he witnessed and he is. And, and for those that don't know who Chor Boogie is, he's like 
six foot, a giant tank engine who with tattoos across his neck. He looks like this burly, scary dude, but he's yeah. the sweetest soul um, under all that muscle and tattoos. <laughs> mm. And I, the same thing is true of Patrick as well. They are they are big, gruff dudes, but man, mm-hmm. they're they they're connected to themselves, and and it's it's quite beautiful. And I'm so grateful. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) What else do I want to know? I want to know, sometimes when I hear people going through an Ibogaine experience, Iboga, um, they have other medicines. That sometimes at the end of it, um, I've heard people went through two ceremonies of Iboga and then there was uh, a 5-MEO or that there was then an ayahuasca or a psilocybin or, you know, something Did they, did they take you through and that's not every time. Right. So it's not like a standard or whatever, but was there anything like that with your experience? So no. Um, so the second ceremony, um, I will, I will address this, but I will let you know why they, they don't recommend it. Um, so the second ceremony, they were able to get a whole lot more medicine in me and I didn't vomit it up. And then, uh, nice. Wow. Yeah. So that's I pretty got, good for a second day. It seemed like the second day, if I had to do peyote two days in a row, there's no way I would get it even close to my face. So I should say that. So I did it, um, at 8 PM, uh, the first ceremony, I, I, mm-hmm. I was led back to my room at 7 AM the next day. And okay. was uh, awake that whole time and very much in the medicine. And then um, by about 10 a.m., because I had purged so much, there wasn't really mm-hmm. much medicine in me. So, um, so my 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 whole experience was about 14 hours. Um, okay. And I was still like woozy. It makes you very dizzy. Um, so I sort of needed to hold some walls to get up. Um, yeah. but I was able to eat the next day. And then there is um, what they call like Discovery Day where you're sort of processing and you do that Mm. mostly in bed because you're really tired. Um, But the second ceremony, and then there was a day in between because you kind of have to nourish your body, get your electrolytes back up. You need to, you know, give yourself a break. And honestly, if they said you have to do this again, the next day I'd be like, Oh no, I (laughs) it's almost like you need to have like a bit of forgetfulness. in between. Yeah. So it's like day one is your first journey. Day two is kind of, re- is kind of a understand it day. Mm-hmm. Day three is a relaxed day. And then day four, you go into a second. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so I did that on day four. We were served the medicine at about 8.30 or 9 p.m. I took three eight to 10 ounce glasses of wheat tea, of the tea, which was god awful. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah. <laughs> uh, two TA pills. So, um, they gave me one and then I went to go lay down and I, and it didn't hit me nearly as fast this time. And I was able to mostly function. And, um, I went and laid down and I wasn't really hallucinating much. Um, and so they said, here, here's another one, take another TA. And so I was laying down and, um, uh, one of the most striking, aspects and there's so much that I can share. And I, I've been asked to write um, a blog that uh, will be for awake.net and they'll have be, there'll be a lot more description of my actual hallucinations, but my mother passed awesome. away. Yeah. My mother passed away 12 years ago and hmm. I wanted to visit her and I did. And wow. I got to hug her and hmm. I could feel her skin. That's how wow. realistic. And I could smell her. 
and I could feel, I can still in my sense memory feel what it felt like to touch her. And mm. for those that have lost someone, I think that's a huge reason why they want to do um, Iboga because I mean, everybody's lost someone at some point, but especially if it's abrupt, you get to not only see them, touch them, but you get to ask them questions. You get to spend time with them. You get to really reconnect to, to people that you can speak with people that you know were part of your past and you get to speak with your ancestors you may ne never have met. And they get to give you information about your path this, this time around <laughs> in this life. Wow. And it's pretty amazing and significant. And I would say that um, Iboga is it, because of all the alkaloids, um, it allows you to do that. Ibogaine, it doesn't quite have as much of that experience, although you do have hallucinations. Um, but I, I, again, that's why I think Iboga was, was what I wanted to do because I wanted the full experience. Um, in the Bwiti tradition, they would not recommend you doing anything for at least three months because your body is still processing, your liver is still processing, it's still detoxifying, um, even if you're not coming there for acute detox. Um, you, your, your body is still figuring stuff out. And, um, after they, they say that like the next day after your second ceremony, you get to be in a pink bubble. <laughs> hmm. I didn't get to be in that pink bubble for about five days after my ceremony. I was still, um, I had, I had gotten so much medicine in me and had, um, had for me and my size, um, and had, and was able to hold it in for, for quite like the whole ceremony. The actual second ceremony was 45 hours for me. Wow. So wow. I was in the medicine shaking like I did the first night for about 20 hours. Um, and I was still very much unable to rejoin the world for about 45 hours. Um, wow. And that was, that was in this space of the first 20 hours was like a like the, the best way I think uh, Elizabeth explained her first experience this way as well is that there's a gyroscope in your head um if anybody's like drank too much alcohol and then like gone and laid down yeah. and, like the world's spinning think about that but having like six axes in your head they're going all different directions and what it feels awful, but the experience of what's going on there is that you are like defragging your brain. That's the mm. best way you can describe it. You're taking yeah. out old emotions, old patterns of behavior and, and, and things that you don't even know are there are getting released and pushed out so that your brain can quiet. And for me, it took five days after my second ceremony for that to actually take place. Because wow. my brain was still like spinning, right? Dizzy, and I didn't. Everybody else was like, "Oh, I feel so great," and I was like, "I do not feel great. I am still." <laughs> <laughs> I'm. Are still you still at the center? Are you still there for those five days? I mean, do you recover there until you hit this pink bubble, or did you have to go somewhere else? I was still there. Um, Elizabeth is an old friend. I've known her for five years. So I stayed with them a bit longer. Um, but they actually, um, the, the typical, what they're offering right now um, in their space is an eight day, but they don't kick anybody out. You can definitely stay longer. They are building out a center where they will have 
pre-tox, detox for those that need that. So you, you can stay for like months if you need to. Um, and nice. then do the ceremony and then integrate that because it's not a quick integration process. It is, yeah. I mean, none of these medicines really are, but, um, but, um, but I do know many people who also have that, like they'll do 5-MEO afterward. And I honestly think it's because it's so challenging to be in the Iboga or Ibogaine space that it's like, that was so awful. Can we have something nice now? <laughs> That's what it feels yeah. like. Yeah. It's interesting because in my limited experience, I wouldn't, I also would not describe 5-MEO as nice. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? But, but also yeah. it's, it's overwhelmingly beautiful and, and can be a, and a, can be a deep connective experience where mm -hmm. it, um, uh, and I, I don't want to freak people out because it's worth it. Doing a boga is absolutely worth it because I have been, it, I had, I ha when I finally got into my pink bubble, <laughs> um, my mind was so still and calm that I actually found myself a little bit freaked out because I, I have gone through depressive episodes in my, in my early years on this planet. And, um, I was a little afraid that that's what was happening, but I had to sit with it um, mm. and be, be aware and really like understand that, no, this is actually how other people sometimes experience the world where the mind is not chattering constantly and, yeah. and was not in a distraction space. And, and I had this um, beautiful opening that I was like, oh, oh my God, this is, this is clarity. This is calm. Nice. Nice. Uh, that does sound amazing. Yeah. What, uh, so what do you recommend? Should we all go out to the dark web and buy some Avoga powder? Oh, dear God, no. <laughs> so on the dark web, definitely not. Um, secondarily, um, the, so Avoga has a lot of contraindications, more so than Ibogaine. Ibogaine, people can come in um, and, uh, you can still be on your, on benzodiazepines, um, mm. in, in, if you do Ibogaine, but Iboga, you cannot be on anything. You can't be on SSRIs. You can't obviously have any heroin in your system. You can't have Suboxone, Methadone. Um, you can't have pretty much any pharmaceuticals. Uh, there's really nothing you can have in your system because it will make you violently ill. Um, mm. and. And it also can cause some severe reactions. And so it is incredibly critical. They have such a wonderful team. For those that are, are aware of it, there's a movie called Dosed. Um, and mm -hmm. that was made in, in um, Canada. And actually the team at Soul Central were in that movie. They were the ones that did the medical direction. And also you'll see a quick cameo of Elizabeth and Shore uh, serving medicine at the end. And um, they, a, a huge part of that um, and people who are coming to Ibogaine or Iboga is that they have to detox. Um, and most people are coming because they, they've, they've gotten to the point of doing methadone or suboxone. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll just say this, uh, the reason why people find Iboga and Ibogaine to be so effective is that it resets your op opioid receptors. So hmm. for those that have been abusing it for a long period of time, if they stop, even if they taper down, your system is still, um, it's almost like touching someone's skin who's been um, 
abusing um, opioids for a long time can hurt them. Like it, they're they're so sensitive to pain because they have no barrier between. Right, them. right. And so what it does is it resets the opioid receptors. And so they can come out the other side. And I'm not going to say they're going to be exactly like they were before they started mm-hmm. using opioids, but but they are able to come back into the world and into their into their minds and bodies so way better than just going yeah. cold turkey or you know um, just coming off heroin. Um, Suboxone and methadone are long-acting opiates, so you have to taper down slowly. Um, and mm-hmm. oftentimes, folks will um, you'll have to do morphine or go back to heroin before doing an ibogaine experience because you have to get your body tapered down to a low enough dose. You can't just do Suboxone and then like, like get off of it for a week and then try to do the game. It doesn't work that way. So okay. you need medical supervision to get off all of these substances. Okay, good. Now in describing your experience, it sounds very deep. You know, for the, for the most part um, in the experiences that I've had, it's that that old, I don't know if it's Timothy Leary or Ron Doss, whatever, but said, you know, you should know, be able to know, you know your zip code, right? If somebody comes up to you and says, what's your zip code? I should be able to say, here's my zip code. 5MEO didn't know my zip code, right? There's been some ayahuasca experiences that did not know my zip code. From hearing what you're saying right now, and the Iboga experience, you would not know your zip code. Yes, How, you oh, you would? So, so you're alert enough that somebody can, because really where I'm going with this question, I'm making it too complicated. Okay. How do you know, how do you know you're safe, right? And so, in the whole space of of psychedelics and medicines, we talk about harm reduction, and there's even been you know within maps therapy sessions where people are abused under the influence of MDMA, right? How, how do you how do, you're doing such a such a big deep experience? What what is set up so that someone can feel? that harm is, is not going to come to them, that they're, that somebody's looking out for them, that there's some kind of process in place to keep them safe? Yeah. Yeah. Really good question. Um, so, uh, one of the ways is to know the people you're sitting with. Um, I, again, I, I've been friends with mm-hmm. her for five years, so I have a different perspective. Obviously I know her very well, love her dearly. So I don't know. I don't know Elizabeth, I know, but I, I know you. Right. <laughs> and so even if, even if somebody doesn't have that strong of a connection, there, there should be at least some, it should not just be, I, I went to the internet and I found this and I drove, you know, someplace or flew someplace, or whatever, and doing the sight unseen. It should, there should be some endorsement or connection or something, first of all. So yes, absolutely. So in order to do this work with Iboga or Ibogaine, you have to go through a full medical screening. You have to do an EKG of your heart. You have to do a full blood panel. Um, and that is under the supervision of a medical staff. If there is no medical staff at your Iboga or Ibogaine space, run, run. Don't do there that. You go. There's your first red flag. If they are not looking out for your well being in that way, then you should not be sitting with them. That's number one. Number two is you're going to have it, it's not just something you do on a whim. You're not going to Peru and you're like, oh, I heard about this place to go do ayahuasca and I'm going to go do that. I don't recommend anybody do that either, but some people do, right? Mm-hmm. There is no place that is going to say, oh, I just met you. You showed up and um, let's do a boga or ibogaine tonight. If that happens, then don't do that. <laughs> right. 
because it is, it is, I, and again, I don't want to freak everybody out, but you can die doing Iboga or Ibogaine. It is cardiotactic. It, it, it extends your QT, which is the, the space between the thump and the thump of your heartbeat. So you need to make sure that you have a very um, strong physical uh, body. And um, that has to be done through, through medical tests before, beforehand. Um, and I don't know a single provider that would not require at least a six lead EKG um, beforehand. Okay. Um, so that's, that's definitely a, a parameter to follow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also in any of these medicines, you are going to be at your, at one of the most vulnerable spaces that you may have ever encountered in your life. Um, and you need to make sure that you feel safe with whomever you're sitting with. They should be, there should be, uh, people that you can speak to that have sat with them before. There should be, um, a reputation in the community. Um, and even if you're brand new to this community, you should be able to find things online about the people you should be able at the very least to ask them for referrals. Um, and if they don't have that, hmm. <laughs> yeah. What about idea. in the moment? Is there anything they, they do? I don't think you, there's anything that's ever fail safe, right? I mean, predators are, they do, they predate, right? But is there anything in, in the center and in the moment and in the ceremony where you can tell there's like, okay, they have put things in place here for my safety, not only from potential abuse at the hands of the providers, but also physically, like you mentioned, you, you called it a cardio, what, whatever it was, right? Is there like, yeah. do you see things sitting around and there that's like, okay, if I was to have some kind of cardio event, they are prepared to help me well, just in case something goes wrong. Absolutely. Patrick and um, Michelle are both registered nurses in, um, uh, in Canada. And before we sat, they did a mm -hmm. six to six EKG. I had already done a 12 lead EKG that was sent prior to my even arriving in Costa Rica. But the night of, they just wanted to double check, make sure they also, <laughs> there was a point. Um, so the funny thing, there's really, once you're in Iboga, you can't really get out. You're in it. But you right. down a bit with a banana. <laughs> oh, really? And, yeah, and I, I don't I don't know why. I have no idea. Um, but uh, you usually don't eat anything at least six hours before the ceremony. But um, but if there if there seems to be a, a deep challenge for a person, they, they can give you a banana. So I flagged down Patrick in the second ceremony, and I was like, Patrick, I think I need a banana. And he like he took the <laughs> vitals. <laughs> He, he took my vitals and he, he touched my skin. So, and my skin was normal temperature. If I was like low, like very cold, or if I was having an extremely fast heart rate or something like that, yeah, you know, that would be an indicator. Um, but it's <laughs> like, nope, kiddo, you're not getting a banana. I was like, please. Yeah, you're <laughs> <laughs> nope. Good. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> I am really grateful now looking back, but, um, but uh, at the time I was spinning and I was, I, I wouldn't say I was terrified. It was more, um, there's this very funny thing that happens. Uh, there's many different purges that, 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 that can happen. You can laugh, you can cry, you can vomit. It can come out other parts of you. Um, you can also have what they call a mind purge, which is something that I was in the middle of when I asked for a banana. Um, it is, um, 
it's where like for me it was it was the visualization or like I was visualizing puzzle pieces coming in together and they would hmm. almost fit together and then they would go away and that was that was going on for about four hours where nothing, holy cow yes nothing would complete it would be it would be all of these different things where you would see something coming together like an image would like start to come into view and then it would just go away and that was that was actually one of the most important aspects of the the journey itself because interesting it it set me up to have that calm clarity because it mm. was wiping, it was wiping it, all of these things it was clearing it everything out yeah, it's clearing up the problem. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad he let you go through. I would have called out for that banana three and a half hours before you did. <laughs> you know, so I'm glad. I'm glad he uh, he let that ride because it sounds like it was an important place for you to get to. It was very necessary, not fun, but it was very necessary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, two two more questions to wrap this up. Okay. One is, uh, what else? What What have I not asked you, or what else about any of this do, do you want to share? I want to make sure I don't cut you off before you get it all out there. Uh, thank you. Um, let's see. Um, I would say, um, so one of the things that I came to understand, um, and I don't, I don't know how to frame it exactly, but, um, I've been, it's so strange because I've never been in a, the kind of relationship that I was prior to going into the ceremony. And I, I would very much call it an abusive relationship. Um, I didn't mm. know I was coming into it. I didn't know the, the warning signs. I didn't understand what was happening. But weirdly enough, I have been the safe house for several friends over the years where I had an extra bedroom and I would let people come. There's been several people who knew yeah. that about me that said, you know, that called me and said, one was a, a guy friend and said, I, I had to call the police on her. I, I need to get out of here. Said, oh my gosh, come over another friend, same thing, female with a, she's like, I'm sleeping with a knife under my pillow. And I was like, get your ass over here. I, yeah. I had no idea. And, sh and these folks stayed with me and I witnessed their process of yeah. leaving an abuser. And I witnessed how horribly emotional and devastating it was. And it, it, it's just part of the process and it's not to shame them in any way, but they were on the floor in tears. And I think um, the reason my pink bubble, quote unquote, didn't come was because I wasn't in the corner on the floor in tears. I just wasn't elated, but I was not yeah. terrified. I was not sobbing because I had gotten that all out. And it was the biggest blessing that I had no idea. Yeah. Was wow. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so the last thing is what, what else is coming for you? What do you want to share about anything you've got going on? What do you, what are you, what are your plans for yourself personally coming? Do you have anything? I know you got to wait three months. You don't have to wait three months. You just, you've still got a lot of processing and integration to do. So, um, but professionally, personally, what, what else do you have coming up that you, you know, want to share anything you want to get out there to the, the community? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, so one is um, folks are welcome to reach out to me um, if they want to ask questions about my experience. Uh, again, I'm not a provider, um, but I'm more than happy to connect them to Soul Centro, to 
Also, Soul Central does not do acute detox, but I know a lot of people who do. Um, so if they're if people are seeking that, I'm happy to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, I also support people to get off pharmaceuticals in order to prepare for their psychedelic experience. Um, over the years, um, over the past two and a half years, I've been supporting people to get off Suboxone and methadone and, and other um, illicit drugs. Um, suboxone and methadone are technically prescribed, but substances that would prevent them from doing Ibogaine and Iboga. But many people mm -hmm. um, actually came to me in that process saying, well, I'm actually on an SSRI or on a benzodiazepine or, um, and, I, and I, I want off and I don't want to do Ibogaine or Iboga. I want to do mushrooms. If, if, you, if you go into a mushroom experience, on an SSRI, you're going to have a fraction of the experience, and mm -hmm. most people don't know that. It's not safe, yeah. but it's not. It's you're wasting your time and energy. Um, right. Ayahuasca, it is unsafe. You have to you have to taper down and get off these things. So um, my business partner and I um, are supporting people to do that, and that is under the name Holo Therapeutics. Um, I have been doing uh, work to support people, like I said, for Iboga and Ibogaine, and we are transitioning into the model of supporting people to do this for pharmaceuticals. Um, so that will launch very soon. Um, and personally, um, I will definitely go back and visit my wonderful friends in Costa Rica. Um, but I'm going to be traveling for the next uh, foreseeable future quite a bit. Um, nice. Yeah, and visiting people. Um, either visiting them in person or going to um, doing remote to, to, well, I'm just going to say pick up where you left off. I want to share people's stories of, of their, their medicine work. Um, and Perfect. Yes. <laughs> um, and, um, and help people who may be a middle of the road, not, not to be judgmental, but, you know, somebody who normally would not consider themselves counterculture or, you know, in the yeah. world. Celia, um, you know, I sat with a, a, um, somebody who was in finance in on Wall Street. He sat next to me. And then the other person who was sitting next to me was a local co Costa Rican who had never done a single psych psychedelic. And she chose a boga as her first journey. <laughs> Holy cow, woman. I know. I know. So um, I want to share stories of people who, who've done this and, and done, you know, different different ways of, of entering into new areas of consciousness. So awesome. Um, yeah. So I will be releasing a lot of that stuff um, probably through YouTube and website and things like that. So more to come. Cool. Up. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. That is awesome. That is fantastic. Well, Kim, thank you so much for, for coming back, you know, for, for being on the podcast again and for sharing your story. It's uh, I think a, a deep and powerful one. And I'm truly grateful to, spend this time with you and, and have this to share with everybody. Thank you so much, Stuart. It was great to talk to you too. <laughs> awesome. That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stoned Apes. <laughs>